Good evening, and after a slight hiatus, welcome back to Kenter at Your Own Risk. This is going to be episode 41 with Kent, Kevin, and Chris. Uh, it's a little delayed. We were going to be doing this one in February, talking about iconic horror couples in horror movies, but we ended up uh, having some technical difficulties, and we're now back with our Valentine's Day episode in March. So <laughs> I'm doing Super good. Kindly. I hope you guys are too. Uh Kent, Kevin, anything going on or everybody good? Good. Hey, everybody. Yeah, my my, uh, my computer's working again, so I'm the asshole that caused the delay. I'll own it. Hey, no, no blaming here. This is a safe space. Otherwise, we talk about enough horror movie villains that, you know, some fucking phage or demon or entity would have latched onto us by now and fucking we would be in trouble. Yeah. Um, so, anybody want to start? I do not. Okay, crickets. Uh, yeah, oh, you well, want to go, I, Chris? Yeah, I guess I will. I will. I'll, um, I'll go a second. Right. So, my first one is going to be a movie from a movie I think we've talked about maybe once or twice before, Kent. But it was very formative for my uh, early uh, sexual awakening. Right, let's put it like that. And this is going to be... From Life Force, a 1985 British sci-fi movie, and it's going to be the Space Girl and Carlson. And I say that because I think I saw more breasts in this movie <laughs> in an hour and a half to two hours than I had in my entire life up to that point, including all the time I spent nursing as a baby. So, uh, yeah, I don't know about. I think you've seen it before, right? Okay. Uh, no, still have not seen it, despite oh, remembering you talking about it. Have you seen this one? No, but I see it all the time on, and I know very little of it, but I do know of it. Yeah, basically, um, they go and they send a group of astronauts in space, find a like alien ship with what looks like people um, uh, in suspended animation on it, and they bring it back, and it turns out you know they're, they're aliens. And they're basically like psychic vampires who drain your life by having sex with you. Uh, so, I'm in. I mean, <laughs> there you go. That's there you go. That's the uh, the premise. Uh, all right. Well, since it sounds like there's not much discussion to be had on that one, um, Kent and Kevin, I know you've seen this next one, so. Uh, my list might be a little more comedic than uh, typically I do, but it's going to be Brian and Mary from Sleepwalkers. I, th I think that uh, that's probably one of the best examples of incestuous relationships in a Stephen King movie that I've ever seen. I'm not going to lie, that appears someplace <laughs> in my list. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. I mean... You gotta can't deny that there's some more um, more uh, chemistry between the son and the mom than there was between like the son and the love interest. Oh yeah, there it was by far that was the romantic relationship in that movie. Whether you know it's good or not, it's true. Yeah, I never even realized, and I guess until going back and looking over that that was Alice Krieg or Krieg or yeah. however you pronounce it as the uh, the mom. Yeah, that must have been one of like the first things I've seen her in. Yeah, I think it was the first thing I saw her in, and 
I don't know her from much. I mean, she she was in Silent Hill, right? Oh, she does. Yeah, she does a lot of horror, like um, that uh, Gretel and Hansel one a couple of years ago. She was the witch. Um, she played the Borg Queen in Star Trek. Uh, oh, I bet you that's where I've seen her. Too, yeah. Then. Um. Yeah, she's, I mean, shit, she played Elizabeth Cady Stanton in the season two of The Alienist. I'm like, wow, that's a name I haven't heard outside of Johnstown in a fucking long time. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, she's all over the place. And, and, and the character was Charles, his real name's Brian. Oh, okay. Just, just you know, want to get our Sleepwalkers facts in line here. When talking about such a great movie that's come up how many times now? In a lot, a lot of stuff has come up. Uh, yeah, at least yeah. Uh, <laughs> for such a terrible movie, that movie just won't. It go was pretty effective when I was a kid too. Because what is it? Is it ninety three? Is it uh, ninety two? Okay, yeah. So I was. So I probably saw it in ninety three. And yeah, it was. It was weird. Like the the whole mother's. I don't think I ever saw anything like that. Yeah, I definitely hadn't seen, like, Flowers in the Attic or anything like that before to even, like, have an idea that that was a thing. You know? Thanks a yeah. lot. Yeah. It says Tove Hooper. It says Tove Hooper is in it. my horizons. <laughs> oh, God, I... Oh, yeah, like, there's all those, like, little cameos. John Landis, Stephen King, Joe Dante, Clive Barker, right. they're all in it. With all the masters of horror, yeah, yeah, and I brought my mom to see that with me in the movie. Theater. Yeah, that's got to be a great Mother's Day. <laughs> <sighs> all right, so so my number three then is going to be the one I think you know everybody pops into their head when they think of couples in horror movies, but it's, it's definitely nice. Dewey and Gale from Scream. Scream, yep. well, Scream One, Scream Two, Scream Three, Scream Four, <laughs> Scream Five. Just not Scream 6. Yeah, sorry. But, uh, I don't know, I, I do think that, like, that's a... Well, I really liked them, but I thought it was weird how much Dewey changed between, like, Scream 1 and Scream 2, if you catch my drift. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dewey, Dewey probably made the most progress as a character in the whole franchise, I would say. But he did change, evolve, whatever you want to say. Uh, I mean, it, it, to me, it felt like he gained like maybe about like thirty points of IQ. <laughs> uh, he went from being like uh, Forrest Gump to like mentally competent and like actually competent for a while. I, I can't say he's actually competent because how many times has he been fucking stabbed now? Oh God, he got hurt at least every single one, right? Did he? Yeah, uh, did he so. get stabbed in three? That's the one I can't ever remember. I just don't. I blank it out. Yeah, it's, uh, I, 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 I assume so, but because it seemed like that was kind of the the reoccurring thing from one and then two. Right, he I mean, was two. Like, are, two, I remember he, him getting stabbed in the back while Gail was in the sound studio. He's, he's like yeah, it ends with Dewey like going into an ambulance. Yeah, that seems Usually. to be like a recurring motif. 
But I like like one of the things that really sells that, them too is the the music, you know, the the couple theme that they've got going on for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they appeared on my honorable mentions list because they are very synonymous. And we're a real right. life couple for two, right? And then yeah, yeah. And then they they broke up before three came out. But I think at that point she still had his last name. He, she might have, yeah. Yeah, she wasn't really starring in stuff besides the screen movie, so I don't think so at that point, anyways. Yeah, so I didn't really see her because uh, Friends was—I think Friends was over by that point. Yeah, I think so. Um. All right. So my number two is going to be from a movie. I don't know if either of you guys have seen it, but um, Clive Barker's Nightbreed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's going to be uh, Lorian Boone, the uh, main couple from that. Uh, I just think it works. Like, um, it's, a, it's I think it's a good example of, like, a woman being tough without being, like, masculinized or, like, final girl material. Like, she's not ever fighting the bad guys. You know, she's not going toe-to-toe. She's not, you know, take, picking up an axe at the end, half a, second half of the movie. But, um, you know, she loves this guy enough to, you know, follow him into basically fucking hell to see what's going on. You know, before we find out what's going on. Um... Uh, and I think the uh, the actor and the actress fucking sold it. Like, I've liked Craig Sheffer ever since I've seen it, no matter how bit of a part he plays in movie or TV shows since then. Um, I don't know. Can, I don't th- think you've seen this, but Kevin, you saw this? I saw it as a kid I and a long, long time ago. I think I saw it at... Mm-hmm. Your house in Johnstown, way, way back. I wouldn't be surprised. I remember we got we got a screener and a whole bunch of like promo materials. Like my mom got all of the um, the standees from Video World after the movie came out, and uh, we had like a little flip book that showed like all of the creature designs in it. Yeah, I don't remember that. I do remember seeing it, and I think that was the first time I yeah. saw it. And then maybe a little bit with my dad because he was really into the Clive Barker movies growing up and that one i don't remember being like like as like as much sexual stuff as like maybe hellraiser oh yeah for sure it was definitely way less sexual yeah and so uh, i own i own it and i haven't i haven't gotten to to it yet but i think it's the only clive barker movie that i own interesting yeah that's a good choice though yeah all right, and then my number one is going to be off of a duo, a uh, another movie I brought up a bunch of times that I still don't think Kent has watched, although I could be uh, surprised by now, but it is um, going to be uh, Anton and Sveta from Nightwatch and Daywatch. You're right. I have not. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Uh, I just, 
I, I like the fact that like you see the flirtation in the uh, in the first one, you know, um, as the two people, the two actors, kind of um, are attracted and come together, and the second one start which takes place, you know, a good couple six months, year later. Um, they're already in a relationship, you know, they've got that going on, but, uh, it just, it really builds on it too. I mean, um, the power dynamic was shifted between the two movies, you know, um, in the first one, he's like a member of the, the night watch and she's just like a normie. And then by the second one, she's, you know, like one of the two chosen ones and he's less powerful. Uh, they did some really interesting shit too. Like at one point in the second movie, in order, he's like under death threat. In order to hide him, they put his mind into his partner, who's a chick, and she runs off in his body to lead the people away while the two of them are hiding. And uh, they start doing like a lovemaking scene where he's in the woman's body, and then halfway through, he morphs into him. They did you know some interesting shit with the camera, uh, but. One of the things that I like best is like these people were so, you know, destined to be together is when at the very end of the movie, when they go back in time to before the first one happens, they end up running into each other and hooking up in like a little serendipitous thing, almost like something from, um, I forgot what that Gwyneth Paltrow one was, the, uh, not changing. Seven? Not, no, not that one. <laughs> uh, sliding doors or something like that. I don't oh yeah, where it's like her life in two different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if she got on the train or not. Yeah, exactly. yeah sliding doors. Yep. Yep. Okay. So yeah, it was almost something like that. It was. It's kind of wholesome, you know, to imagine these, these people were so destined to be together that they end up finding each other even after like all of the shit that destined them to be together is over and out of the picture. Uh, so that's my list, guys. Great. That actually sounds. I'm looking up Nightwatch. Nice. That looks pretty. <laughs> It's pretty good. It says it's thrilling and gritty. It was, you know, when it came out in, shit, what was it, like 2004? Uh, yeah. Yep. Ish. It was, like, the, the special effects were fucking amazing. You know, and the story was awesome. You know, it was something I hadn't really seen, uh, like, Russian cinema. And even now, like, the special effects, you know, the really cool shit going on, but like even on the the blu-ray i have it's not like a hd blu-ray so you can see like how dated some of the green screen shit's become but for for like idea wise you know like this shit was fucking some of the most creative fucking stuff i've ever seen and i mean it horror action uh Probably not so much comedy, although I get the feeling that there's supposed to be some in there, but it doesn't really hit since I'm not Russian. <laughs> Great, that sounds that sounds awesome. If well, if you know you know what I mean, awesome. yeah. So it's almost like a kind of like a horror version of The Matrix. I guess would be like even though it has nothing to do with like virtual reality or machines, but that's kind of what it reminded me of. And, and I love dated CGI. All right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not bad, but like, for example, there's like a scene where, when it came out, it looked pretty fucking badass. Like the, in the first one, the villains playing a like fighting game version of like the characters that are in the fucking uh, movie. You know, he's like playing himself, and you know, 
when it came out, I was like, wow, that looks fucking good. And now you look at it, it's like Tekken 3 style, you know, level of fucking graphics compared to <laughs> the shit that's out now. And you're like, okay, maybe, uh, maybe not as good as it used to. But that's what I got, guys. All right, we're back in Kenter at Your Own Risk, episode 41, after a slight technical difficulty. Uh, I just finished giving my top five couples in horror movies, and we're going to shoot over to Kevin for his list. All right, so my first movie, number five, is Bug from 2006, uh, directed by William Friedkin. Uh and the couple is... Dude, I had this on my list at one point. Did you? It was on your blog. I read yeah. the blog. It was pretty great. So, you remember it? Yeah, yeah. That, that was like one of the first things I ever seen Michael Shannon in. Yeah, I think it was the first one of the first things he was ever in as a leading role, anyways. But yeah, Agnes White, played oh, by yeah. Ashley Judd. And Peter Evans by Michael Shannon. I never saw this, but uh, I saw the uh, the trailer enough that it's stuck in my mind, and I've always wondered about seeing it. So, yeah, good choice. Kevin. Oh, excellent! Yeah, so this movie, so it's Agnes is living in a motel room in Oklahoma, and she's kind of binge drinking and smoking weed, um, receiving mysterious phone calls that with no one on the other side. Uh, she, which she assumes is her ex, who was recently released from prison. Uh, and her friend that she works with at a lesbian bar brings over Peter Evans, played by Michael Shannon, for a small party. And she ends up leaving, and it leaves Peter and Agnes left alone. And Peter is about to leave, but Agnes kind of asks him to stay. And uh, there's a great line that if you if you know um, from Ashley Judd that says, I don't party like this every night. But you kind of get the impression that she sort of does. Um, and that's uh, definitely something from my past, something I said. Uh, this movie hits in a lot of a lot of ways. Um, so Peter stays the night on the couch and wakes up the next morning and her worst nightmares comes true. Her ex is in the shower. Peter is gone and he's kind of abusive. And the, and her ex-husband is played by Harry Connick Jr. And he's great as the bad guy in this. Um, what we come to find out is also that Agnes lost her six-year-old child. I think it was like, it just disappeared. And that she had with with Jerry, played by Harry Connick Jr., who notices some like drug paraphernalia. He ends up hitting her, and Peter comes back in the middle of like all of this, and um, and it's kind of like where they start to spark their relationship. Agnes is super paranoid from losing her six year old child, and Peter is like a socially awkward uh, army vet, military veteran who is paranoid from technology, chemicals, information, and they both bond from their loneliness. And that's like the thing that I love most from this, uh, almost like in a monster's ball kind of desperation of two people coming together. Uh, there's a very 90s erotic sex scene that is a 
about as awkward as Peter. And then from there, the infestation of paranoia begins. We see marks from these bugs. Peter's convinced that there's a there's these bugs, and then as it you know, this movie is more claustrophobic than arachnophobic. Like he freaks out and you know showing Agnes these bugs, but she doesn't see it, or at least as us as an audience, we don't see it either. And the paranoia just grows, and it is based on a play by Tracy Letts. And you can totally tell because it's basically just, for the most part, in this hotel. And there's a, there's a, this line kind of says it all about the couple. It's like, all we talk about is bugs. I guess I'd rather talk to you about bugs than nothing with nobody. And that's from Agnes by Ashley Judd. And these performances are, are amazing. The closer they bound over their past trauma and the more destructive and insane they get. I don't want to give too much away of this, but the performances, like I said, are, are as explosive as its conclusion. And it's more one of those things that's like more of an experience than something you just kind of watch. And there's a lot more, you feel like there's a lot more drug use going on than what, than what, uh, than what they're showing you. And there is a reveal in it, and uh, which uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll get into it. But uh, Kent, you said you've seen this before. Oh yeah, yeah. It's pretty wild. I it. Yeah, it it was a, it was a real pleasant thing because I, I had no expectations going into it, and. Yeah, sometimes these smaller movies with, you know, like a smaller cast, I mean, some somehow something about, like, three people, you know, like Joyride worked so well for, for me. Like, you know, these smaller casts work well, and I don't even know if I, I – it is horror-ish, but I don't even know if it's really – I mean, I know it's labeled as horror, but I don't know. It's not, right. not traditional horror. Yeah, it's it's kind of marketed weird. Like if you were just told like, "Oh, this is a really good horror film and it's called Bug," you would have certain expectations and this would kind of um you almost think of mimic, right? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. But th- with that in with that in mind, it kind of works with the paranoia that's going on. And that's why I don't want to give too much a way about it, but yeah, it, it is definitely not a, an atypical horror film. Uh, I wouldn't say, oh, you know, it's more of like a psychological thriller. Um, uh, there is a lot of like, you know, references to uh, to meth in it, and like the psychoticness of it also was like very kind of like triggering uh, for me because I've been in like situations where people have been doing lots of drugs and um and it was very it was very um similar to to these people that I know and um and experiences I've had sort of this this is way wilder than all of all of that but like somehow it kind of like gets that entire thing and so for me that stuff was kind of like actually terrifying to me than rather than if it was like a like a giant bug that like came to this hotel room in Oklahoma and killed all these dr- drug addicts 
You're, you're saying this is scarier than the uh, main, main bug at the end of the original Stephen King's It? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Even more terrifying than uh, than the first time I saw it. That one, when you go back and rewatch it the first time, you know, so it's probably like 1998, I went and re- back and rewatched it, and it, it didn't even hold up six years. No, no, it did not. <laughs> and and when you tell people that who really like the miniseries, and I love the miniseries, but they're like, no, but that's exactly what the book is like, and I'm like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, so, sometimes you got to do a little extra. Yeah. Something like, yeah, I agree. But uh, okay, uh, moving on. Number four, The Vanishing, uh, 1988. Uh, directed by George Sluzer. Uh, this is a Swedish film. Uh, the couple is Rex Hoffman, uh, played by Jean Bervotes, and the Saskia Water, played by Joanna Terstige. I'm probably pronouncing those names way wrong. Oh, and it's a, it's a Dutch film. A uh, Dutch couple is on holiday in France. Their car runs out of gas in a tunnel. Rex leaves his girlfriend Saskia to get more gas, and this starts an argument. Uh, Rex returns, and Saskia is not in the car. She is outside the tunnel waiting. They go to a service station where Saskia forgives Rex, but also making him swear that he'll never abandon her again. And there's a lot of good banter of this couple of, you know, they, like, love each other, but they're also you know, back and forth. And if the events that don't happen, you'd be kind of curious if they would remain a couple. But Saskia vanishes from the service station. And though their boyfriend and girlfriend, Rex refers to Saskia as his wife while searching the service station. Then we get a perspective of the kidnapper. And... Uh, if no one's seen this movie, so this movie came out in 1988, but it was kind of bouncing around art houses for a long time. So no one in America really would have seen it until like the nineties. Uh, so there's a lot, some, some people back then the, the ending was kind of known to people and was like talked about. So it was kind of ruined for people before, but I think, you know, so much time has passed now. I definitely wouldn't do that, but we do get a perspective of the kidnapper, and that's a part that I'm going to kind of keep hidden. Um, yeah. I, I have a quick question. Did Was the 93 film, The Vanishing, based off of this? It's like a, a remake. Movie? It's yeah, a remake the, the by, the same, by the same director. Okay. He remade it in an American Hollywood film, and it, I remember seeing it as a kid. I haven't rewatched it yet. Um, everyone who loves the vanishing, this version hates it, hates, hates that version, but it's got Jeff, what Jeff Bridges, Keeper Sutherland, Sandra Bullock, Nancy Travis. Yeah. Yeah. And really not that far after this movie was like discovered by American audiences. He, he remade it an American Hollywood version of it. So, Anyway, so... Dude, that's a great list idea. I'm sorry, I gotta interrupt for a second. 
movies Americans remade and got everything <laughs> wrong about it. This one would be on my list, even though I, give me reason. Uh, I don't know. I th- I thought it was still a good version. You know, it, they changed the ending for sure, so it's nowhere near as depressing. But the the movie itself is. Uh, if it, it's if it's, it's, it probably was was all right at that time, if, and I have a thing now with like I try to like not hold source material to you know as as a factor. It, it's hard sometimes, but I yeah, I try to enjoy everything on its own terms. But anyway, so it skips three years later, and Rex, who is now dating someone else, is still searching for Saskia, where he has two choices: believe she is alive and happy but not know what happened to her or let her die and find out what happened. So he lets her die and he holds onto his vow of never abandoning her again. He tries, but can never really let go and still dreams of Saskia and the dream that she had the night before she vanishes, which is also a foreshadowing to the end. But it took me a couple times to even really pull all of that together. There's so much to this movie and it is, you're kind of the the way it ends. You're kind of surprised that it would end that way, but it's also super fulfilling at the same time. But it kind of twists and tur- turns you. But uh, so, you, have you seen this, Chris? Uh, no, I haven't seen the original. I've seen the remake. I do know how the original ends compared to the remake, though. That was one of the things I looked up the first time I saw it. Yeah. And Kat, have you seen this? I, I've seen neither one. Yeah, and it's also not... I So I saw this on um, in October on Criterion Channel for uh, the 80s horror section, and it's yet again another movie that I wouldn't be like, oh, this is like a horror film, but at the same time, like lack for of a better term for it. You know, there's the vanishing but there's no like actual ghosts or anything I remember when the remake came out it was right around the same time as the maddening and I used to get them confused in my fucking head all the, like which one was which and an in- yeah so that was that was like two years later but or yeah I, I was like uh, so again, I haven't seen this one, but it, it was a fucking, the story is chilling and it's the story, one of the best yeah, movies so. I've like, I've seen, it's like one of the best movies I've ever seen. The, uh, it's so far on the list cause I've only seen it two times now, but, uh, it is, it is just like a, an amazing kind of perfect kind of movie. Um, and an interesting fact is that it's called the vanishing, which is not a real word, uh, to uh, inspired by the shining, um, and uh, which I'm only mentioning because that's kind of the inspiration of this of this podcast of this uh, this episode, anyways. Yeah, which I didn't I know. get to that. Well, yeah, I know. I, I figured so, but um. And uh, Stanley Kubrick said that he thought that The Vanishing was scarier than The Shining to uh, George Sluzer, and that's the best uh, validation one could get, I guess, as being a filmmaker. Um, All right, I'm going to move on to Antichrist, number three, 
2009, written and... No shit! Written and directed by Lars von Trier. Yeah, these are all, like, kind of rough. <laughs> this was on you my list. Guys. You guys, you've, you've both seen this? Heard of it? I, I've seen parts of it. <laughs> yeah, this is another one I don't want to watch, like, uh, again, like, um... I've seen the parts <laughs> that uh, I heard about and had to see, and yeah, I I, I tried watching it, but I, I I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. You got kind of have to have some patience and some dedication when you get into it, right? Yeah, and basically any Lars von Trier movie, and this one's actually under two hours, so this is probably in some ways shorter time. But yeah, and, and it's also like a lot of Lars von Trier, like you have to like know. To like, I guess, to completely get it, because I watched the a- analysis videos. But there's like all this like underlining like religious stuff, kind of in a lot of his movies, um, like stuff I don't know in the Bible and witchcraft kind of stuff that that goes on. Um, and I almost like I have not the greatest attention span, so even with this, like stuff kind of just like goes over, goes over my head, and then like when I rewatch it. You know, a couple, like, I think I've only seen this twice also. No, three, this is my third time seeing it. And, uh, so I kind of like, those movies are fun for me to watch because I can pick more things up. Um, but there's some things I would never know, you know, because I, I don't, I'm, you know, not a, don't have a college degree in religious studies or what have you. So I'll get into it. So these characters are just named he and she played by Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Gainsbourg. It opens with a graphic slow-motion sex scene, and it cuts between their child getting out of his crib and jumping out of a four- or five-story window and dying. Uh, The mom, completely devastated, is hospitalized and treated for depression, and then Dad, who is a therapist, Willem Dafoe, starts undermining the doctor's prescriptions and starts treating his wife. This movie is like, if you looked up the phrase conflict of interest, this movie should show up. Uh, making a clinical call, he decides that she should face her fears and take her to the cabin where her and their son spent the summer before in the forest of Eden, where nature is Satan's church. He has strange visions as he becomes increasing, as she becomes increasingly in unhinged and there's a lot of weird stuff with like animals and some of them talking and there's like stuff on youtube that says chaos reign so and the sex the sex that they have starts becoming increasingly violent and more graphic than the nature of the sex previously in the film or the, the small violence but um yeah uh, also another movie i would want to like give too much away but there is it's very extreme it's very crazy there is some graphic mutilation in some sensitive areas it is five stars of cringe and uh so you guys have so so you haven't made it all the way through kent i i did not no i i went through a phase gosh, well over a decade ago, where I was looking up as much extreme films as possible, and this was on quite a few lists, so, uh, yeah, I got my hands on it, and 
uh, kind of fast forwarded, and then I saw that ending, and I was like, okay. Oh, you I, did I watch the ending, know. though. Oh, I've seen yeah. the ending. It, yeah, yeah. I've seen the ending quite a few times because I've ended up showing people because. I'm yeah, that's that's kind of what that movie reminds me of. Is that like something that I, someone would talk about and be like, "Oh, you got to see this," and give away these scenes, like, and then. You're like, oh, I gotta, I gotta see that, and then you see, and it's this weird art film, you know. And there is stuff like with witches and stuff in it, and also not. I guess it's probably more of a horror film than the two previous movies I mentioned, but not atypical. I, th- I think I went mostly subverted horror films this way. But I'm pumped. You guys actually knew this. I thought I'd just be like. Plowing through them. No, every once in a while I'll surprise you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, this was yeah. This one was fucking rough. <laughs> Jesus My God. friend, um, <laughs> who's like really into like the crazy stuff, I was like, oh, so this this month we're doing like romantic couples and horror, and uh, I forgot he mentioned he mentioned one. I think he mentioned Calvair, and I was like, that definitely. That that one doesn't that one's not gonna count. And then um well we Aww. we said no like like uh you know, like sexual assaulting someone, you know, we want some sort of consensuality. I'm really well, they're married. questioning your guys' ideas of what, like, Yeah, they're married. He's trying to help her, you know. The you know the best worst way yeah, yeah. the best way he knows how, it just turns out to not work out. For either of them, um, uh, at least not the way they, you know, he was probably expecting it. But yeah, uh, he, my friend though, he was like, "Oh, Antichrist! Oh, someone's gonna mention that," and I was like, "I don't know if anyone is, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop that one." But it was on your list, Kent. Did you say that? All right. In, in all fairness, and Chris is well aware of how bad this list is going to look on my end. I have a long list, but yeah, that was actually one like probably the first ten movies I thought of as I was writing down my list. That's awesome. I mean, that speaks volumes. But it is a memorable movie. Like it, it, it is yeah. for all the wrong reasons, right, Chris? <laughs> uh, I um, I remember seeing the. Uh, Again, seeing the trailer and was intrigued by it. But um, I think it's one of the harder Lars von Trier films to watch, for sure. You know, um, a lot of his... Well, maybe just one of the most graphic, I guess. A lot of his stuff is, um, you know, existentially just as hard to watch. But I you know, definitely remember the general mutilation. Yeah, I do, I, I, I'd agree. I'd like, agree with you on that. Know, yeah, the, his movies aren't yeah. that. Even like the no. House That Jack Built, which yeah. is like a serial killer movie, isn't as rough. Yeah. I mean, it's graphic, but it's not. Oh yeah, yeah, not as like. Yeah, this is it this one is like I'm. You know, you're looking through like you're like putting your hands over your eyes and looking through the you know your fingers. <laughs> The whole like spaces between your fingers to like see it, yeah. It's you know I I've seen it three times and and I've looked away all three times, especially with the the scissors scene. But uh, 
Yeah. 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 Well. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So if anyone out there listening, you you know that if you you know if you're gonna if you're gonna be able to handle it or not. but I'm Um. But yeah. And I honestly didn't know that it was going to be. I knew I know Lars von Trier, but I didn't. I didn't know of anything specific about the movie. So, um, yeah. So I didn't. I didn't see any of that coming. But you know, I, I've never. I don't think I see, I see anything coming from a Lars von Trier ha- movie. You know, where it begins and where it ends. Um, okay, so I'm going to go to my number two, which is. Probably the most traditional horror film on the list. Willow Creek, 2013, written and directed by Bobcat Goldthwait. That's right. Bobcat Goldthwait from the Police Academy movies. The the characters are Jim Kessel and Kelly Monteleone, played by Bryce Johnson and Alexi Gilmore. Uh, th- this is a found footage film. Uh it's about a couple camping in the California woods to find Bigfoot. Uh, what's what I love most about this this movie is why it's on the list is uh, this couple. Their dialogue it seems like very natural. It seems not doesn't it doesn't actually feel scripted and it, and you can get little pieces of these characters through it. Jim is uh, on the hunt for Bigfoot and is a fanatic and a believer. And his girlfriend Kelly is uh, there to, to film him, but she is uh, she's a skeptic. But she loves her guy, and she pokes fun at him, but is there to support him and spend time with him in the woods. And you kind of feel like they got some other things going on, you know, in in their lives after this. Uh, and a lot of the stuff is unfolded, and it doesn't really make fun of. Bigfoot believers, but it's kind of, it's kind of fun. It's part documentary style and feels kind of like a vacation home video, home movie. It's through the Bluff Creek where the Patterson Gimlin footage was shot, uh, through and to Willow Creek, uh, which is the Bigfoot capital of the world. So we get to like see them at the hotel room and spend time in these bars. It's like this little small town that pretty much it's bread and butter is uh Bigfoot and all the souvenir shops. So, uh, and so they go through the woods and it is a very minimalist movie, you know, Blair Witch Project comparison for lack of a better term. So there's not like so much you can give away, but the ending is super intense and it is like a still, camera long long uncut shot it is and uh it is it it does feel a little a little blair which which project ish you know because it's people going through the woods and it's but it definitely has its own feel to it at the same time and it doesn't feel like a ripoff it's just you know for lack of comparison to to Blair Witch, uh, and there is oh oh I've seen this movie quite a few times. It is uh, you know the only horror film that Bobcat Goldthwait directed, um, and is the last of his. I think he directed a documentary after this, but hasn't really directed anything 
It hasn't made like a movie movie since. So do you guys know this this one? Uh, I've never even heard of it before, but interesting. I never knew that Bobcat Goldthwaite directed a horror yeah. movie as well. <clears throat> I, I've heard of it, but never seen it. And yeah, I didn't know that he directed. He was Bobcat was in two episodes of Tales from the Crypt, and that was oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he did. You knew that he directed before. movies, though, right? Well, he made Shakes the Clown, the um, Citizen Kane of alcoholic clown movies. <laughs> I've never seen that. No, you haven't seen Shakes the Clown. It was like <laughs> it was his first movie. <laughs> Tom Kenny is in it. Uh Robin Williams has a small part in it. He's really good friends with Robin Williams. And then he kinda of, you know, that movie took a hit and they kind of uh he took a hiatus for a while and then he came up with this this movie that was Sleeping Dogs Sleeping Dogs Lie. And then he made World's Greatest Dad with Robin Williams, and that movie is brilliant, and also my favorite Robin Williams performance and film. Like it's it's so good. It's it's definitely dark comedy, super crazy, much better than you would think if you just saw the the cover of Robin Williams with the mug that said World's Greatest Dad on it. It's it's awesome, and also uh, Alexi Gilmore, who's in this movie, is in is is in World's Greatest Dad. So that I had a little bit of familiarity with her, because outside of that, you really kind of don't know anyone in this movie. It's all basically kind of unknown, so it kind of has that authenticity of being like found footage. But. All right. Oh, yeah, that is a really good one, too. That's probably my top five, Robin Williams. But Willow Creek is on Peacock, if if anyone out there has Peacock and is interested. That would explain. I just went through the whole Peacock horror library today, like, looking through it. That Yeah, it's, it's definitely much. I mean, I only saw it because Bobcat... Goldthwait directed it, and I just was watching, like, all of his, you know. I saw I saw World's Greatest Dad, and then I was like, I'm watching all of his movies, and that came out, and I thought it was weird, and, you know, it, it was definitely not of the same, you know, indie comedy style. It's funny, but it doesn't, it's it's not a comedy. But it does have, it does have that feel to it, so it, it you know, there's some good writing to it, but doesn't feel written, but... All right, I'm going to move on to uh, number one, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, 2017, directed by, written and directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, uh, also co-written by a Greek name that I can't pr- pronounce, so I'm not going to try. The characters are Stephen Murphy and Anna Murphy. They're married, uh, and is Stephen Murphy is played by Colin Farrell. And Anna Murphy, played by Nicole Kidman. Stephen is a cardiac surgeon, and he meets up with this 16-year-old kid named Martin, played by Barry Keoghan, whose father died a few years earlier. He has dinner with his family, um, with Stephen's family, 
uh, Anna, his 14-year-old daughter, Kim, and younger son, Bob. Stephen invites them after they meet for ice cream. It seems very odd. There's very kind of like, hush, hush, what's going on? I'm going to do this movie a disservice because it's so ominous and quirky. It And it it's very kind of, it's like two hours, but it, you know, the whole first hour is like a slow build up to, to what happens, uh, to where the whole second half of the film. Um, but before that, Barry, uh, Martin played by Barry Kewen, uh, invites Steven over to meet his mom and kind of like have him hook up with his, with his mom, who's played by Alicia Silverstone Stephen declines, and shortly after that, his son Bob becomes ill, his youngest youngest child, and his legs start to not work. Uh, and it turns out that Martin has some something to do with it. And finally, after you know being you know where Stephen is a, a surgeon, so he's at the hospital. He's got his son there. They have no explanations of why this is happening, they just think he's kind of faking it, or it's some sort of, like, mental thing, and from that, Martin tells him that three things are going to happen, that your son is going to, or your whole family is going to start losing the the strength in their legs, and they're going to be paraplegics, their eyes are going to start to bleed, and then they're going to die. And the only way that Stephen can stop this is he has to choose a member of his family to kill. Now, at first, Stephen doesn't believe this at all because the thing about Yorgos Lanthimos movies, he did The Lobster, which is a good example of like, they're kind of based in a world that seems, well, not The Lobster. It's like in a very different kind of universe of itself, but it's sort of close to, I guess, the real world. Um, so, but Steven, you know, doesn't believe this at all. And, and it kind of goes on for a while and the mother played by Nicole Kidman doesn't know what's going on. They have like a, a tension between them, but he's like faithful to his wife. They have like a weird sex life, but it's not, not like antichrist weird, but, but weird. Um, and they seem like a regular married couple, but on, on the surface, but there there's a lot of suspicion and tension between them. We figure out that Stephen doesn't drink anymore, and that has to do with Martin's father's death. After Kim falls paralysis to Stephen, uh, falls to paralysis, Stephen tells his wife the truth about his history with Martin and his dad, and Anna confronts Stephen with his drinking. And about and being the day of the surgery, and Stephen takes no accountability or responsibility at all for it. And then after Kim's hospitalized, she receives a phone call from Martin, and she stands up, and we kind of realize that Martin has this weird kind of supernatural power. And it is a com- It's not a comedy, but there's always like kind of comedic elements to it. There's uh, after Anna meets with Martin and he's like, there's a really weird spaghetti eating scene. He starts 
telling Anna that Steven's been flirting with his mom. It's all not really true. Um, and she's trying to convince Martin of like, why should they have to pay when it's Steven who did it and that it's not fair. And Martin says, this is the closest thing to justice you get. And then Anna and Steven start to argue. And there's this amazing, amazing scene of them in the kitchen. And it's the most, the least monotone conversation, I think, up until this point where Colin Farrell starts trying to make sense of all of this, but like super sarcastic of like, oh, I know what we need, a tooth of a baby crocodile and blood of a pigeon and pubes of a virgin. And we burn them all before sunset. And then he like, and he's ripping up the kitchen and he's like, like, do you have any pubes left? Oh, I forgot. We don't have any of the things we need. It is, I, I will, every time I see that scene, I rewind it and watch it over again. Um, and Anna kind of sticks with Steven out of self-preservation. Uh, it does look like that someone's going to have to die. The ending is terrific, tense, and it is scary, but also not an atypical horror film. But definitely has weird elements. And I think it's kind of based on some sort of Greek tragedy or play or something. But uh, have you guys seen this? Or her? I have not. No, I do remember. Again, again, this was another one I remember seeing the fucking trailers for, and it's like, yeah, oh, I haven't seen it, but I definitely, I heard about it, and like just reading the synopsis, I was like, I'm not sure if this is horror or not, because some synopsis. There's, it's yeah, it is kind of. I wouldn't say really so, but it, the whole like think. super, like I don't know, I I don't even know if supernatural, but the whole like mystic thing about like what's happening to them and that like there's something going on that's like I guess the closest to like you know would be like horror or maybe science fiction but if you say science fiction and it's not like a bunch of you know futuristic flashing lights and aliens and stuff it you know doesn't really seem like a science fiction movie have you guys seen the lobster That has more of a science fiction kind of feel to it, but it's just like no. a weird. Uh, again, I have not. No. I don't know, like fantasy. It's just I, don't, I really don't know how to describe it. It's an, it's another weird, quirky kind of dark art film, for lack of a better term. Uh, but yeah, that's my list. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good. That's a good word for it. Yeah, that always struck me as something. So, per, something. Yeah, that's surrealist. that's my list, guys. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Wow, you picked a. You know, I don't really know if I feel romantic <laughs> after listening to your list. <laughs> All right. Ouch. All right. So, as Kevin Kent. alluded to, like. The whole premise of this was based on The Shining, like, romantic couple, Wendy and Jack, so, um, <clears throat> I, I think, I don't know, at least I definitely just rewatched it, um, 
you know, it, it really is an inter- – they have such an interesting dynamic um, when you're watching the movie. And I was kind of hoping, like, see if I could find, like, other movies that replicated that vibe. And I don't know. I, I don't really think I found too many, but I still had fun with this. But as I made my list, uh, as I'm notorious for doing, I may have included far too many things. So I split my list into two. Um, I have like a Stephen King list uh, in honor of Shining. I'm not going to go too in depth on most of them. Uh, It's just kind of like a lot of honorable mentions here. Uh, Some obvious things that, you know, if you've ever listened to the podcast in the past, you kind of know what to expect here. Um, just from the Stephen King stuff, though, I had, uh, Gerald's Game with Jesse and Gerald, um, The Stand with Randall, Flag and Nadine Cross, uh, Pet Cemetery with Lewis and Rachel Creed, uh, Maximum Overdrive, Chris, you knew that was coming, uh, with, uh, Curtis and Connie, uh, Children of the Corn with Bert and Vicky, uh, sleepwalkers, as was alluded to earlier. Uh, and then I, I, my top four, I guess I'd like to t- talk a little bit about though. Um, my number four for Stephen King, I had for, was Christine because Arnie and Christine the car, they have a thing going on. Like Christine's a jealous bitch and she is in love with Arnie. I, uh, would you guys not agree? I mean, that's literally, isn't it like the tagline from the movie? I guess it could be. I, I have no idea. I mean, if it, if it wasn't, I do remember yeah, people bringing that up. You know, yeah, like His car is a jealous To bitch. me, that is basically a, a romantic relationship. I mean, he falls in love with her when he first sees it from the old dude who's creepy as hell. So, yeah, I felt that was appropriate. Um. Uh, an underrated one I was thinking about was in Cat's Eye, uh, the very first story with James Woods um, and his wife. Yeah. I was like, Quitters you Inc. know what? That's Quitters a pretty Inc. good romantic couple. I mean, because she stands by her man, and you, know, you see at the very end when they have the couple over and the uh, other lady lost her finger. and <sighs> Yeah, yeah, that that brings out a little romance for me. Um. Firestarter, I I think I liked how they told the story between Andy and Vicky better in the original than in the remake. Um, both of them kind of had their merits, but I, I I think I prefer the original storytelling of how how it came to be. And for some, I don't know why this is my number one for Stephen King, but Creep Show. Henry and Wilma Northrup, uh, played by Hal Holbrook and Adrian Barbeau. I think it's, I think the thing's called The Crate. And they just have, like, the most antagonistic relationship. That's a great one. Yeah. I was like, yeah, they do. I was, like, trying to think of which which one it would be. Yeah, like, she is so horrible, like, when they're, like, at that mixer party or whatever. Like, I, I don't know. I think that might actually be my favorite role of Adrian Barbeau's. It's not, like, a huge role by any means, but it's it's fun as hell. She commands, like, so. every scene that she's in. I remember seeing that as as a kid. Like, it was, that, 
that one started out kind of boring, but then when she starts to like lose her shit on him, you know, I'm like eight years old when I yes. see that. You know, I saw that for the first time, and I watched it over and over again. So, yeah, Creepshow's one of those things. But part one and two, I I I watched those so many times that I obviously lost count. Uh, but always like an enjoyable experience. So. Now I'll actually get to my uh, ahem, top five, which, uh, once again, I apologize. I'm going to go through quite a few of them quickly before I get to stuff I want to talk about. So some honorable mentions here. Uh, Edith and Edward Cranston in the movie The Call, played by Lynn Shea and Tobin Bell, because I just wanted to acknowledge how great they were. Uh, they were the only shining light in that otherwise very bad movie, quite frankly. Um, I had Scream, I had Gale Weathers and, and Dewey. Uh, just for laughs, Devil's Advocate, you can kind of pick whatever couple you want. You want John Milton and Alice Lomax, you want Kevin and Marianne, you know, you, whatever, you can have fun with Devil's Advocate. I don't even know if it's horror, but whatever, fuck it. I wanted to list it. Uh, this movie kind of just kept going in my head was us, like the main couple, Gabe and Adelaide Wilson, I actually liked their dynamic in that movie. It was probably like one of the best parts of that movie for me. I I, I really liked I really liked uh, Winston Duke, the guy that played Gabe. Yeah, I've I've liked him in a a lot of stuff since I've seen him, and I liked um, L- Lupito, uh, the woman who played his wife as well. I forgot what her name. Yeah. Yeah, Nyong'o. Yeah. I've been really impressed with both of them and what I've seen of them. Like, I don't know if you heard the the audio files that he no. did as Batman. He made a, he made a fucking great... He made a fucking great oh, fucking Batman no, and Bruce Wayne. any of that. Uh, and actually, I also had Get Out, but that was on my way, way, way down honorable mention. But I... Yeah, for, for us, like... As much as that movie, I don't know, it wasn't necessarily for me. Um, there was parts of it that I liked, and most of it actually involved those two as a couple. Uh, my my number 10, I was kind of expecting Chris to throw this out there, but you didn't, Chris, uh, was A Quiet Place, uh, just because I know your affinity for Emily. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I like Emily Blunt a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I like John Krasinski, too, but, like, if she ever broke up with him and my wife died and she somehow found her way into, you know, being attracted to, like, a middle-aged dad bod. Yeah, I'm going to circle my calendar I'd be all over that. that shit. Definitely. Uh, but, I mean, they do hold that movie down. I mean, they they are the leads. Although the kids are good, the, especially the, the daughter. I can't. Millicent, I think, is her real name. I, I don't remember her character's name, but uh, yeah, I, I thought they did a really good job. Uh, number nine, kind of, once again, a little bit for my own little humor, but House on Haunted Hill, Stephen and Evelyn Price, played by Jeffrey Rush and Famke Jansen. Like, those two, if they're not the main stars, probably the house itself is the main star, but those two kind of steal every scene that they're in together, I would say. Um, I think if you cast that 
differently. I, I don't feel that movie is nearly as effective um, as it was. Uh, number eight, I had, uh, since we talked about Clive Barker, originally I had Hellraiser, Kevin. I originally did have Hellraiser, and I started watching Hellraiser, and I was like, I've seen Frank get dismantled so many times, so I moved on to something else. But Candyman, like... I don't know if you can say that the whole thing between Helen and Candyman was romantic or not romantic. There was something there, right? Well, even if you don't want to skip Candyman, Candyman 2 definitely fucking ups the uh, romance, you know, since she's what, the reincarnation of his, the, sl- oh yeah, yeah, owner yeah, who uh, when, he fell in love with back in Daniel the day. Daniel Robitaille, I think it was his name. yeah. I don't know, because, I mean, they do have the kiss, and, and, I mean, I also kind of wanted to go with Trevor and his little play thing, but that just kind of seemed unnecessary for me to put down, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I always, I think Virginia Madsen, I don't know, this this has to be my favorite role of Virginia Madsen. She's a good actress and everything, but, I don't know, she got a lot to work with in Great. Candyman. So, uh... Number seven. Now I'm going to go a little bit mm, off off center here. Uh, a film called Dead Girl. Either of you ever see this? It's it's one word. Is it one word or two? It's, it's one word. Uh, uh, no, Kevin, I have not. Is Brittany Murphy in it? See it. No, I don't believe so. I want to say that very confidently, but I'm not confident. I don't think there's anybody like uh, really uh, super. It's called in it. what is it? Uh, dead girl. I could. Oh yeah, I think it was called the dead girl. Dead girl, which it's were s- s- the 2008 zombie yeah. movie. Oh. Yeah, it's it's so basically these two high school boys they find they go into this fucking abandoned mental asylum and they find this girl chained up and like the one the not the main guy the other guy he just like wants to fuck her and then he tries to kill her but she's undead like I don't know why what's going through this guy's head like I want to fuck this girl and then I want to kill her whatever um. So, you know, teenage boys being what they are, tell their buddies, and then, like, guys are, like, taking turns. But the main guy, he's still after this girl named Joanne. The main guy is named uh, Rick, Ricky. Um, and even at the end, like, he saves her life, and she still, like, straight up just rejects him. And... The final scene is you think that he he kind of looks normal, but then goes back to the as- asylum, and you think that he's going back for the actual dead girl, but it's actually he let uh, he he got Joanne bit, so now he's got his girl, all tied up and zombified. It's romantic. Yeah, and you thought I took the romance <laughs> out of this, Chris. 
Yeah, I really think that I'm kind of glad we didn't do this in February and we're doing it in March now. I, I honestly, it's it's not a bad movie. It's a movie that you kind of sit there and you wonder why it was made, but it, it was a good time. Uh, it, it actually sounds like a really cool premise. It, it you know as disturbing as it is, but yeah, it, it, it's disur- It's something I've seen a few times. Oh, I'll, I'll check it out. Um, yeah, it's free on Vudu to anyone out there. I think I own it on yeah. Vudu, nonetheless. So, yeah, it's it's a it's worth one watch, and yeah, probably about it. Um, my number six movie, uh, I I've only seen this once, but I just recently watched a clip from it again. Uh, Let the right one in. Uh, the the two kids. I, I don't know if it's Oscar and Ellie or Oscar. I don't know how, how his name's pronounced. Um, but she she's like a little vampire, and they have a little romance. And I thought that kind of warranted inclusion into this because it's a fantastic movie. And I don't know. It was kind of a nice little juxtaposition after going on about Dead Girl, I thought. Uh, I'm guessing at least one of you have seen Let the Right One In, right? Yes. Yeah, it was yeah, actually the, the remake was good, too. Oh, the remake. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely getting more uh, in the right sure. direction with this one, Kent. It'll go, it'll, you know, no, the rest of my list ain't that bad, actually looking at it. It's not terrible. Uh, Kevin, you seen this movie? I saw Let Me In, and no, I, I used to have a problem with, uh, foreign language movies like if it was subtitled but i'm not that way anymore obviously but sure but if there's an american remake that's the one that i'd watch i used like, to be that same way so girl with a dragon tattoo like i would only seen the david fincher one but mm-hmm. yeah I, I i mean the story is basically the same so but yeah i haven't specifically seen that and there's also a tv show yeah, now yeah yeah I... The TV show I heard wasn't anywhere near as I good. haven't seen it either. I don't, I don't know. I haven't seen it either. I don't know. It, to me, it's a story that just kind of belongs in a movie, not a series. Like, I don't know. Some movies uh, you can make into a series. This just didn't strike me as one that I cared to see. So, all right. My number five one I'm pretty excited for because I wasn't sure where I was going to put this, but five seems right. Blackula with Mama Walde and Luva from the past and Tina from the present. Uh, once again, I don't know if either of you guys have seen Blackula. Have you? I no, Kevin. I no, neither. It was on. Uh, it still might be on Criterion, but it was on the Criterion Horror. Thing. It's one of the ones I wanted to see, but I just didn't get around to. It says it's on uh, Amazon Prime, though. Yeah, yeah. It's a surprisingly good movie that is still very enjoyable. Um, basically, his Mama Walde's love gets killed early on in the movie, and he sees uh, in present day when some guys break open his... Uh, his coffin, you know, he kind of goes out looking and he ends up finding this girl that looks just like his 
former love, and uh, he pursues her, and I don't know, it's kind of actually a decent take on a vampire Dracula story. It's a very different take, and it's not because it's a, a black exploitation movie. It's just, like it's just an actual decent story uh, in and of itself. I've never seen. I, I I'm pretty sure there's a sequel to Blackula uh, that I have not seen, uh, so I can't vouch for that. But the original one, really solid, highly recommended. Yeah, I've always wanted to see it. The first time I've ever heard of it was uh, in the Adam Song music video by Blink-182. Tom DeLonge has a Blackula t-shirt on, and I've always wanted to see it. And I haven't really come across it until, like, the last year. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to... It's on the list. I'll pull the trigger on it one of these days. All right. Number four. I'm... Pretty sure Chris has at least seen this. Honeymoon? All right. Kevin, have you seen Honeymoon? Yeah. Fuck. I don't think I've even heard of it. Oh. I just that watched it like three me, hours yeah. before we started recording. Uh, I wasn't sure where to put this, and I was like, no, I really love fucking Honeymoon. And Kevin, since you haven't seen it... Oh, I'm torn since I know what we're doing for the next podcast. I, I don't want to give too much away. Like, these newlyweds go up in Canada uh, to her parents or some relative's cabin, and what starts off normal, she has, exhibits some weird behavior, and the guy's trying to figure out why she has weird marks on her legs. She says they're insect bites. And then they meet, like, this old friend of hers that lives up there, but things aren't quite right with him. And it's just a spiraling, what the fuck is happening? And you kind of think you might know, and then you're not sure. And it is disturbing. It It is disturbing, but... Uh, Rose Leslie, uh, who was also in Game of Thrones, is fantastic in this. And Harry Treadaway, I don't even know what the fuck else he's done. He was quite good in this, too. He played um, Frankenstein oh, in the well, uh, Penny Dreadful TV I did not show. I know that, because I haven't seen it. But, there we go. Uh, I, I really liked, I mean, Paul tried and tried and tried and tried. And uh, the way that it ends is it really like fucked up. The way that she tries to keep him safe is all all I can say without giving much more away. But it is fucked. Uh, plus the whole thing where he's pulling stuff out of her. Kevin, I think you would actually enjoy this movie. Though. I'm I'm in. Yeah, it that sounds, was. Yeah. It sounds good. Is it on anything? Oh, it's just on Hulu. Yeah, it's on Peacock, it's on Amazon, Prime, Peacock. Pluto, Tubi, Pluto, <laughs> for free. So, so, yep, you got options. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that sounds. If it if it's got a fucked up ending, I'm in. Yeah, I, I, it's short too. It was only like an hour and thirty five or something like that. So, all right, my number three. I know it's not horror, but I don't think you guys are going to hold this against me for saying Rocky Horror Picture Show and going with Brad and Janet. Come on. We love them. They're just a good couple. 
and I mean, you could have said Frankenfurter with, with Brad and Jen and could have had a good laugh. Like, you could go any which way, and there's plenty of good combinations in that movie, but I don't know, Brad and Janet seemed like the most obvious one. So. <laughs> Rocky. Dr. Scott. Um. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't really think that there's a whole lot needs to be said. I mean, Barry Boswick and Susan Sarandon uh, killed it. Uh, I mean, everybody in that cast did a great job. I don't think anybody did bad in it. Um, it's an iconic film. If you haven't seen it, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Rocky Horror Picture Show, I, I think I'd feel really stupefied by that. So... um and my last two are kind of fairly obvious, and neither one is Chucky and Tiffany. I, I, I don't know. I just didn't put them. But uh, my number two was uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren from you know the Conjuring films, played by Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. Um, you know, they're a real life couple, and uh, Patrick Wilson he actually appeared on this list like two or three times, uh, but I just wanted to mention him once. Uh, but he, 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 he's pretty good, uh, at what he does. I was going to include him with a bone tomahawk, but, eh, that relationship didn't do too much for me, but, you know, Ed and Lorraine Warren, that does something for me. That's basically, like, the only reason to watch, you know, yeah. uh, Conjuring 3. Yeah. <laughs> I've only seen the first two, and, uh, and I, I basically watched it because that was one of the couples you can't put on the list originally or just or for ideas and i don't think i've seen it before maybe i saw it when it came out but the first one's really really good and the second one is also good but it's a little bit less serious or i don't take it as serious as the first one but as you said patrick wilson is pretty good even doing the what's the elvis song that he sings um, <laughs> yeah, drawing a blank shit. now. Damn it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed <laughs> it's like out of place, but like glory. Was it? Was it can't help yeah. falling in love with you, or was it? Uh, was it? Yeah, I think so. Oh, fools yeah. rush in. So, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. UB40 redid that song for that relatively mediocre movie Sliver. Yeah. Uh Yes. If that movie got so much fucking, um, uh, what the hell's the word? Publicity and hype. The, the trailers and the commercials and everything. Was, yes. Yeah. Yes. And then the movie came out and it was like, it, uh, <laughs> the Willem Baldwin, William, William yeah. Baldwin movie. With yeah. Sharon like, Stone? Cause I mean, that was right after like basic instinct. So you have a good song. You got Sharon Stone. Like, yeah, you're going to give it a shot, and then you just kind of walk away saying, eh. But. Yeah, even at, like, 13, I don't know, 13 or 14 years old, I, like, I saw it, and, you know, I thought, I don't know. I guess I guess it's probably more screwed up now than what I would have understood then. He's, like, videotapes her or something. Yes. Or am I confusing that with his yeah, character yeah. and Flatliner? No, no, that's the one. That's the one. No, that was the one. No, he, He's a perv. Um, yeah, I remember 
there were a lot of places that wouldn't let us rent that, but Captain Video yeah. would let us rent that when yes. we were underage. Yes, if you had like a pr- approval, which I didn't, but my friend Adam Smith did. My my parents <laughs> didn't know what they were getting into when they told yeah. me. Yeah, <laughs> that horror section was amazing. Was, yeah. Um. Now with the Conjuring, the second one is where the girl does the voice of like the old man that died, right? Yeah. Yeah, the second one was the one that took place in yeah. in the little house in England. The first one was the one that took place on like the big Victorian in the south. I saw something about like the real life story of of the second one, and like when they kind of end up talking to I think the son or the grandson of the guy that died, and like it, it was just he was shocked at how like the girl was talking and like her intonations and how close it was to his father, grandfather, whatever. I was like, that, like I was watching, it wasn't like a documentary, but it was like something on YouTube, I think. But it was really actually quite fascinating uh, for once. So, uh, I'm going to move on to my number one, which once again is no surprise. I'm going to go with John and Jill Kramer, Tobin Bell, Betsy Russell from the Saw franchise. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm just a sucker for Tobin Bell because he's on my list twice, and uh, I don't know. He he's actually as sadistic as he is at any anything that I ever see him in. He also seems like a decent husband, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, sure. If you want to call neglecting your wife because. You're more worried about murdering the people who caused her to miscarry than you right, know, being there her you husband. Go. Yeah, I guess See, you could say you're, that. You're with me. For for being as judgmental as that guy is, yeah, I guess he's no. an okay husband. <laughs> <laughs> my my big question, Kent, is: he, Are you into bald, cancer jigsaw Tobin Bell? Or are you into the blonde, majestic yeah. mane Tobin uh, Bell from the, the firm? <laughs> Yeah, really, uh, really gotcha. delightful seeing his sparkly eyes and, and whatnot. Uh, yeah. How about flashback backwards hat, Tobin Bell? He looks, he looks like a lion. <laughs> yeah, we tried. Like yeah. the backwards hat thing always cracks me up. It's that is like the single most out of place thing in that whole franchise is that backwards hat, right? <laughs> don't don't judge his fashions. <laughs> You're gonna get into the next fucking movie that way. <laughs> hmm. I'll I'll be quiet now. So, going back to The Shining for a second, we can all agree that you know, like Jack was in an abusive relationship. Like his family demanded too much for from him, right? Like we can agree on this. Wait, who? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, he, he was in an abusive relationship, but I think he was the perpetrator. If this is the, if this is the premise we're going off of for this month, I mean, that she, she read them, she wouldn't be like, oh, you want some sandwiches? He's like, I'm just trying to do some work here. Uh, you know, he's got so much stuff on his plate and she just won't leave him alone. And then the kid, you know, faking his injury and stuff. Jack is in an abusive relationship. Yeah, well, I mean, throwing a tennis ball against the wall is a lot of hard work, I guess. 
I mean, no time for sandwiches. Yeah, t- typing typing back in the day on the typewriter. I mean, you had to r- crank the you know the thing to get the the paper out. It's a, you definitely built up. He probably had some fucking huge forearms. Absolutely. By the, you know what I'm um, I, I got a couple of honorable mentions that like I figured there was going to be kind of like a slightly more traditional list that I would have put on, but I I liked um. Uh, Gary Oldman and Winona Ryder's take on Dracula and whatever the hell her name was in the past. And then Mina Grant or whatever, before she became Mina Harker in the future. I thought that was a pretty believable romantic portrayal of Dracula and his wife, whatever. Yeah. It's not, not Again, Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder. Um, it's not, not Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder. No, yeah, not even, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really oh, are you sure? Because, no, like, two. I'm going to be, like, super uh, faithful I, to her until there's a vampire orgy, and then things just kind of happen. Can, can you blame him? I mean, <laughs> so you had me at vampire orgy. Um, the other one that I was thinking of that I forgot, and I would have probably put on my list instead of, like, one of the more humorous ones, was um, uh, Monsters. That, uh, I don't know if you guys remember that Tom one. Jane? No, um, it was Scoot McNary and uh, Whitney Abel. It was came out in 2010. It was like um, I don't remember if it was a meteor or something, but like they had those like Cthulhu looking like walking octopus things. I remember the cover, and I never saw it. But I was gonna say the the first one, the second one was like a military movie, but the first one was like probably one of the you know, I really wish I put it up higher because it's it's probably one of the best romances I've seen in the movies. You know, married to you know like a yeah. horror on, movie on Hulu um, so. also. So I'll... I'll toss out a few more mentions here. I didn't do Amityville horror, but George and Kathy Lutz, uh, they were pretty good in that. Beetlejuice. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. It's horror adjacent, so just giving a shout out to Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis. Uh, Gina Davis again in The Fly with Goldblum. Uh, that was a good relationship. Oh, that's like one of the greatest uh, love stories of all time. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Thank it's a, it's it's brutal. Yeah, I figured that those were going to be kind of mentioned and talked about. So, um, and then yeah. I totally forgot about. It. Uh, yeah, that's why I didn't bring up, like, Basket Case 2 and 3, you know, because who can't remember Belial and the other circus freak having their babies? Uh, no. No, you ever I seen Basket that's Case? Glaring omission. No. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, that's a little trilogy. That, yeah. Um, I don't it fits right in, in, like, the whole campy 1980s, um, Horror yeah, I'm. Yeah. I'm aware. Is was Daniel Stern in that? Um, I don't think so. Oh, yeah, I don't actually. But I don't yeah, remember. I it's been a year with, since uh, I've seen him. That was on the '80s horror section, though, for for a Criterion. So, but and it looked awesome. But we just, me and my girlfriend, just didn't get around to it. Too many movies, too little time. You probably made better choices. Kevin, I'll toss a movie out that I kind of 
I don't know. I, I was kind of wondering if you were going to throw out there was funny games. Seemed oh, like it would, yeah, no, that is totally one that would fit perfectly on this list, actually. Um, yeah, that's like a, you know, I, I figured I thought maybe like if we do like a home invasion one, I kind of kept the home invasion ones off the list. Um, oh, like James Hoyt and Kristen McKay and the Strangers? <laughs> Yeah, that was that was going to be another one I was going to say, or um, not quite a home invasion movie, yeah, but um, seen that. Slither, <laughs> yeah, Straw Dogs is one that came to mind, but that yeah, yeah, and the remake is, oh, is yeah, that, I think a little bit that was a good one too, better than the Peck and Paw original. Yeah, it's, and it's really, it's kind of to do with the remake that's the, actually yeah. rape better than the original. Scene. It's it's definitely the way Kate Bosworth, I think that's her name. She like that performance is you know I've only seen a few of her movies, but mm-hmm. that's the one that kind of like stuck out and like the way that you know it was the way it was handled in that version was much better than the one it was the way it was kind of handled in the in the first one because it was kind of like like it's like a rape scene, but they tried to make it like you know acceptable yeah, yeah no not yeah not at all like it was almost like he was kind of into it but you know i don't know like like the way that it was like yeah. choreographed or whatever you know and the way they handled that in the remake was 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 real like i don't know i don't want to say realistic but it it had more like solid ground to it i guess Chris, I'm a little surprised. I don't know. I, I was partially anticipating you possibly saying uh, Stir of Echoes. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, like I said, I was trying to reach out for, for some more, you know, things that weren't going to hit the list, and then you surprised me and didn't hit them even with your list that was just uh, as long as Kevin's and mine's put yeah, together. Yeah, I, I, I didn't even mention, well, yeah, I did mention Seven earlier when Kevin brought it up, but, you know, Brad Pitt and Gwyneth's head in the box. Um, Rosemary's Baby, Rosemary and Satan, Psycho with Norman Bates and his mom, like, Phantasm, Reggie with ladies in every single with- Phantasm movie. Uh, I thought you were going to say the, the tall man with his uh, balls in uh, everybody's face. Mandy. I don't know if either of you have seen Mandy. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I was going to, that was That's one that I was right? kind of thinking about. But the, the thing about it is I rewatch all these movies and I have Mandy. I've seen it two times, maybe. It gives me so much anxiety. It doesn't hold up, does it? It holds up in the fact that it gives me so much anxiety every time. Like, it's kind of hard for me to watch. Um, like the first half. Yeah, the mean? first half for sure. Up or, to yeah. to the the like, but everything from like the the weird cult and you know the dudes all naked and you know and then and like the whole scene with the cult <laughs> yeah. and Mandy, like yeah, all of that like from the very beginning of it to 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 yeah, all of it to. To where Nick Cage is like in his underwear, freaking out with the bottle of vodka, which is which is amazing, which kind of like takes a little bit of the edge off, but it's very hard. 
Um, yeah. yeah, and I mean, have, have you seen it, Chris? No, I haven't seen it. Um, the only thing yeah. I've seen that um, Cause Cosmo- Cosmo- yeah. Cosmopolis, Cosmetopolis, um, sure. It was the uh, the episode of um, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities he did, and I could see just from like how he filmed, you know, the the actual uh, how he films what he puts on the screen, like which one did he f- how his do shit could fuck cabinet? people up, the, like he he did the the seventh oh, one, God, which was yeah. with Peter Weller, okay. and, yeah. That, I still like, need to get on that. Like, that just made me... It wasn't... I think it might be one of the weaker episodes, but the way it was filmed just made me uncomfortable. Like it was the a... Entire, you know what I mean? With the, the color choices and the... the I've seen the two resolution. of his movies, yeah. so I feel like I do. It's kind of, like, retro, but, like, not in a comfortable, nostalgic way. It's you like, know, it, it's definitely, um, you know, the people... It's, like, one of those things where I could see him putting in, like sub-audible sounds in order to influence how you yeah, feel when you're sitting sense. in a theater watching his stuff. Oh, like Gaspar uh, No did with uh, Irreversible yeah. with like that yeah. low bass in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Mandy, Mandy, the ending is always kind of like, I don't know, I think... Not uh, as much like as, like, it was so hyped up and I was like, uh, uh, The Color yeah. Out of Space was a yeah. much better Nick Cage movie as was... Uh, fucking Willy's Wonderland. Like, those all kind of came out within, like, a few years of each other. I thought Mandy was a little overrated, quite frankly. But the first half was was really good. The second half, I was just like, oh, it's violence. I, I'm not opposed to it, but eh, it didn't do much for me. It was, and it's sort of, like, slow, too. Like, I thought it was going to be more yeah. of, like, this revenge. I thought it was going to turn into, like, an action film. And it kind of pumps you up for it, but it it's cool. It does have some tense moments, but then it kind of just leaves you like it, it, it's 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 good. I like I liked it, and I bought it just because it looked weird. And uh, my friend actually kind of had the same um, attitude, or uh, you know, kind of what you said. Kind of it was very overrated, especially with all the hype to it. I didn't get a lot of the hype to it i just kind of was like yeah it's a good movie but i thought it was going to be a little bit cooler it got like uh i I know they referenced like david lynch like it's like the closest thing to like a david lynch movie and in some ways i guess but you know it, it had a great like race with the devil kind of concept almost and was that basically the first thing that andrea riseborough like started getting noticed for as well uh well she's exploded since then yeah um actually the first thing that i knew her in which isn't like the one of the biggest parts but i did kind of know her names from bird birdman Mm -hmm. um the michael keaton movie that won best picture yeah and uh and then from there uh, i think that led to mandy but yeah and she's She's one of those people that, um, since then, I would see her name again, and then she, what was, she was in Possessor, she was in this, uh, really cool, uh, Amazon Prime show called, uh, Zero Zero Zero, and that, that's, that's really, that's really cool, um, about, like, 
the drug business, but uh, yeah, uh, whenever she pops up in something, I definitely kind of like, uh, like her name is credible with the choices that she makes, even if it's not like some, if it's like some sort of like costume drama or something, I'll, you know, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it's it's good, but I might not like totally seek it out. But I'm like, oh, there, there's Andrew Risenborough again, who's just nominated for a movie that no one saw. So, yeah, it was what like just a handful of two. Yeah, I guess uh, like twenty something the, or so. Some yeah, was it was it just like ma- major cities and a couple art house theaters or something? Yeah, it was it was already like out of theaters by the time anyone heard of it when it got nominated for. Back in January. Back in January. All right, so those were our lists. Um, you guys got anything that you've seen recently that you want to bring up? I know Kevin probably watched a bunch of the stuff that was uh, nominated for the Oscars before they came out. Yeah, I do. Uh, every year I watch every Best Picture nominee. And I try to watch them throughout the year. So, like, when it was announced, I... So you're not, you're not cramming, yeah. Yeah, I um but like I I didn't really think that the five movies that I saw before it was announced were Top Gun, which I just saw because it was Top Gun Maverick. So and I didn't expect it to get nominated for best picture even though it got nominated for a Golden Globe and I was like it's still not going to get best picture, but it it did get a best picture nomination because I guess it was like a great cinematic experience. Avatar 2 kind of the same way. I just went to go see it in the theater, the 3D thing, because I wanted that, that experience. Um, Elvis, like, I mean, people said that it would be nominated, and, and I didn't really think it would. Um, but I just watched it because it came out, and it was on HBO Max, and people were talking about it, and uh, which is also kind of like, it was a good movie, but I didn't, I don't, when she was like, best picture, I didn't really think it was... All that. I think maybe maybe Bez Lerman, along with the performances, you know, just he tends to get nods even when his movies aren't as great. Yeah, I mean, well, Moulin Rouge, I don't think was even Romeo nominated for Best Picture yeah. though, and that was more. No, of a, it was nominated for a bunch of yeah. stuff, but not Best Picture. And I was really surprised it didn't win anything though, because like the costume design, I thought was like a a lock for that movie. Oh, I fucking, I love that movie. I I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did, and then I watched it, and I was like, oh my god, this is fucking amazing. Yeah, it's the same. I mean, I didn't think it was amazing, but it was it was definitely, you know, it was a little bit almost, like, disorienting with the, with the editing, but, but I, it was, and it was just kind of long for being, like, all of the, those cuts and stuff for, like, two and a half hours, but it was, oh, yeah. yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was way more interesting than, like, Bohemian Rhapsody or the Rocket Man, you know, just the more recent um, mm-hmm. kind of Oscar bait rock, bio, rock biopics. Um, and, yeah, and I thought it was really interesting to, like, a, you know, villain, you know, like the, the perspective of, what's his name? Colonel. Yeah. Colonel Tom. By, yeah, just, yeah. that was, that was really unique. Um, so, yeah, it was it was it was good, and then there was uh, what was the other one that I, oh, everything everywhere all at once, which fucking dominated. Those were the five that I saw when or that and Banshees of Inisherin were the ones that I saw before it was all like officially announced. 
Um, but everything everywhere all at once was A24, and I heard it was bonkers, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll check that out. And didn't get to see it in the theater. I had a couple different choices, because that thing played for a long time. And then All Quiet on the Western Front, you guys see, see any of those? Did you see that one on no. Netflix? Oh, I haven't seen yeah, that yet. There's no, a, not yet. It was, it was good. It was one of the olden days movies. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I like Tar, Todd Field, the Kate Blanchett movie. I don't know why it, it, it didn't do well, but it was surprisingly good for what seemed just like a dry drama of a conductor. It was, uh, had... I mean, I think that's probably why it didn't do well. I mean, not, not for nothing. How often do we see dramas cleaning up inside of, um, theaters anymore? Excuse me. Uh, like it or not, we're in a situation where if you're not, you know, a big budget sci-fi, uh, horror or superhero movie, you're probably not making bank in the theaters and being talked about compared to what we would typically think mm-hmm. of as like Academy. Yeah. Films. I mean, it's okay. Like usually like box office doesn't really matter, but it was just, it was, um, it was, it was cool. I think because everything everywhere all at once came out, it kind of, and kind of took, took storm. And I think maybe some people who don't really watch crazy kind of movies or just kind of out there movies that, um, they were like overly impressed, but I watched like batshit stuff on her, you know, I seek it out. I, you know, so, um, it, it was cool that that movie was really popular and it was really easy, you know, easy to see, you know, and it came out like, I don't know, March, May or something. So those usually don't do it. Those movies don't really was, do pretty so well, you know, like I remember midsummer came out in like May or maybe even March. And, you know, people were like, oh, this is going to be a Best Picture nominee or whatever. And then, you know, it, it also like more horror element to it, but or it is a horror movie. But, you know, they they forget about it. Like, you know, by the time October rolls around and they're pumping out all the, you know, the system of Hollywood and pump out all the Oscar movies. But uh, Triangle of Sadness, which is a movie I didn't hear of until then, has Woody Harrelson in it, and that's like the only name, and that was that was great. I liked I liked that too, but you know, it was it was kind of like an odd, like there were movies I really liked. But it was like an odd list, but um, I think I think probably some things got didn't didn't get picked that probably should have. Uh, and I won't go through all of them all the same. But this last one, Babylon. Have you guys seen that? It's on Paramount. I don't know if you have that. Uh, yes, was yes, the, it was, was surprisingly the like the best movie of 2022 for me. Directed by Damien Chazelle, of all people, who did La La Land and Whiplash and First Man. And it was kind of like an anti-Hollywood movie, um, which I wasn't expecting. It's like it like it's a three hour epic of like the silent era of films, like 1926 into the 30s. And it's like three hours and nine minutes, and it's like a hate letter to Hollywood, but like a love of movies. And like the movie starts with like the old 
free code Paramount, you know, like, um, I don't know, I forget what they're called, but you know, where they show the, the logo of Paramount back in the day, the opening, the opening shot. And then do, and it is just like so much in yeah. the movie is like way too much for most people, but it was like, and it's batshit. It's crazy, but it has like a real drama to it. It's, you know, it, it's a movie that kind of like, checks off all the boxes that you would think would be Oscar bait, but they're all with like middle fingers and like, it is, it is, it is absolutely, it's so good. And it's, and it, what's strange about it, that it's so like out there that it's got like an eight, you know, A-list cast or Margot Robbie and Brad Pitt. Um, and then lots of other smaller parts by, by people, you know, um, and, and you know the costume design is crazy the production design the soundtrack the score is like it sounds like a Scott kid's dream with like all these crazy horns going on and the soundtrack fits the craziness of the movie cuz it's kind of like the wild west of hollywood and how it was sort of like lawless back in the day and uh and what i really appreciated cuz it's a very show business show business e kind of movie but it's really not for like high art kind of people and it seemed like it was kind of could have been marketed as more of like highbrow type stuff but it has all of the lowbrow kind of humor to it it is a comedy it is so wild it's epic i think the runtime is gonna for the people that would like this movie they're not gonna expect it to be that just <laughs> unrelenting um, for three hours. So, uh, but yeah, Babylon definitely. I'm a, I watched it twice in a week. I, uh, like became obsessed with it. I couldn't believe that it was even made. It has a giant budget, and it kind of reminds me of Michael Chimino's Heaven Heaven's Gate, which was like a epic failure, epic western. But like, you know, you know, you know, where things were kind of sketchy in the filmmaking process. And that was like in 1980 where, you know, people were talked about, you know, animals being harmed and stuff. But back in the 20s, they didn't care about any of that stuff. So the most interesting thing about it is that there is this way of like what we celebrate today is not what was going on back in the day and there's kind of like sort of a a blind spot to that almost but yeah all right that's all i got babylon's amazing damien chazelle may have ruined his career but he got one fan and it's me all right now you can't Well, but you can't. You got anything? Yeah. Uh, you've seen uh, you want to catch after we did the podcast, you guys were talking about Spider-Man, so I watched like the most recent uh, trilogy because I just hadn't watched any of them, the Tom Holland ones, I guess. And uh, I'm I just don't like Spider-Man, but I thought the movies were all fun. Uh, the last one was really good. Uh, I don't know. Overall, I, I was entertained by them uh which is more than i can say for previous spider-man movies uh 
So that that was interesting. Uh, I watched uh, I watched You People on Netflix. Uh, like it, I, I laughed too. quite a bit. Um, Eddie Murphy, what, uh, David Duchovny killed it for me. He he was the best part of the whole damn thing. David Duchovny. <laughs> I loved it. I love Exhibit. Like he had, he had every braids. single scene, he was great in it. And Eddie Murphy, by and large, was great. Julia Louise Dreyfus, she was great, but like her role at times was just uh, annoying, really grating. And uh, the two leads were fine for what they were. I, I don't even like Jonah Hill, but whatever. It wasn't bad. Uh, it was a perfectly enjoyable experience. I, I would recommend it for somebody looking for that type of movie. Um, uh, right after that, we watched Bullet Train. So complete, you know, different different type of movie. And I adored Bullet Train. Uh, that was probably my favorite movie I've watched uh, since we did the last podcast. Um, today, I got around, I watched Megan. And... I really, really liked Megan as well. That's on Peacock right now. And it was a little different than what I expected, which I'm happy with. And there's no twist ending. It goes to the expected ending, and it tells its story. And it leaves it open for a sequel, which I'm pretty sure we're definitely getting a damn sequel out of it. And I was, I thought it was good. It stars the... I don't know her name. The main girl that was in Get Out is the lead in this. And, uh, yeah, it was just a fun time. It was it was what a modern-day Child's Play should have been instead of whatever they gave us with that modern-day remake of Child's Play. Uh, and then I watched Vigilante right before Um we started this podcast, and that has Fred Williamson and uh, Robert Forrester. That's on Shudder. I don't know why it's even on. There's some weird shit on Shudder that, like, for a horror channel, they have so much other stuff going on, and this definitely doesn't follow under horror whatsoever, but eh, whatever. And... uh. I watched a couple of TV shows, but whatever. The one thing I really wanted to talk about was that I did try Skinamarink today because we, I think Kevin brought it up at the last podcast. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to give this a shot. It's on Shutter. I tapped out 17 Chris, minutes. Chris mentioned it, I think. Tapped out. Um, and I haven't seen it. Did you see it, Chris? Okay. I haven't. So we're yeah, at 17 minutes cool. for Kent. All right. Well, I I, I know that it's kind of going to be one of those movies, and I got to, like, get, like, the endurance up, you know? It's like uh, when – like, I know it's going to be really slow, and it, it's just, like, I don't know, like, staring at a door or something. I don't know. I, I'm not going to pretend. It's It's mentally draining shots of just walls – and some little bit of chatter, a little bit of, like, cartoon background noise, a little bit of kids talking, and a little bit of, like, some other entity kind of talking or making noise. And 
that's it. And then I know that there's a lot of cheap jump scares, and that's basically the film. And I do not subscribe to the cheap jump scare thing. So this is not a movie for me. It just, it's not a movie for cheap jump scares are the latest to one at least in horror. So uh, did you get good, to a cheap jump scare at least in the first seventeen mm-hmm. minutes? Okay. <laughs> wow. I I didn't. No, no. I don't think you get to a cheap jump scare until like at least halfway through when they finally have. Uh, I. I mean, obviously, there's stuff with the kids. I mean, really, to to know the plot synopsis, it's like nothing really happens, and then like. Oh, just a little bit happens. Like you could probably sum up like what happens in the movie in like two or three sentences. So, for for me, it's like experimental art house horror. And to those people that like that stuff, good. You know what? That's cool. But this just is not a Kent movie at all. So I, I don't plan on even trying to go minutes back at a time. And watching more of it. I have no interest. Like. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed good? Next Level Chef. Uh, that was fun. <laughs> my, uh, my wife was watching that. I saw her cut a cut part of one episode. Um, all right, so good. we watched The Last of Us. I don't know Not if you yet. guys. Wait, I was waiting to with Ray. Yeah, I mean, my girlfriend just finished the last like, the last episode right, of fuck you. the first season. So we. I'm, I'm all caught up on something. I'm punishing her. I got you. I, uh, I mean, I never, I never played the game, but I knew what the story was. I'd watched like a story breakdown one time back in the past when I was like bored on YouTube. So I thought it was pretty good. Um, I don't know if it was great. Like, I don't know if I would necessarily put it up over Game of Thrones or, um, you know, any of HBO's other, like, premiere series, but I thought it was really good. Yeah, really I just want to say, yeah, um, I just want to say that it is good, and so that was interesting it that is over now. sort of um, the one thing that I do I like about it, and not else. to, like, compare it to The Walking Dead, other than it's, like, a post-apocalyptic drama, is that what The Walking Dead would spend a season on, uh, The Last of Us would spend one episode and it would be like on and and so like so as long as it can kind of keep up with that momentum and I I liked I liked the the last episode yeah, like it was good it yeah. wasn't I don't think um I mean maybe for the people who played the game it's more exciting because I hear it's like shot for shot my brother and sister are both huge fans of the video game my sister's been watching the show but she said it's very like in time with the video game shot for shot and I think interestingly for cinematography kind of stuff that's that's cool but like for not playing the game it's a pretty good yeah. it's a pretty good HBO drama post apocalypse show but it's not like you know i like the you know the best of the best HBO stuff right now one season but all right i'm i'm done right velma's clearly the best right right uh, all right, so my my one thing I have to rebut because my brother and my nephew, hey Jane Zach, actually listened to our Freddy uh, Krueger Nightmare on Elm Street uh, podcast that we did. I don't know if they finished the whole thing, but they at least listened to the first two parts. 
incidentally, uh, guys, they say hi, and my brother wanted to know why Kevin didn't talk as much during the uh, the first uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, and I was like, well, because that was the one I had to go over. I got yelled at because you didn't talk enough. But my brother told me that I had seen Nightmare on Elm Street before I was 18. And in fact, I have to rebut that, bro. I had seen portions of the movie, but never the whole thing because I was scared of shit. And I will give him this. He was a much braver, braver kid than I was when it came to watching horror movies and reading horror stories. So that's my one uh, positive comment for my brother in this podcast. But... Uh, in honor of finding out that Kevin was doing the podcast, even though I had told them before that Kevin was doing the podcast with us, my brother wanted to contribute. So have you guys ever heard of ChatGPT? No. It's an AI where you type shit in and it fucking comes up with stuff. So he typed in uh, horror movie couples into the thing and it came up with a podcast for us. So uh, I'll just summarize it because it's... I think it was like 17 minutes long if you let it go by itself, but it was welcome to the screaming duos podcast where we dive into the world of iconic horror movie pairs from best friends to romantic partners. Today we'll be exploring the male and female duos that have made us scream, laugh, and sometimes even cry. So grab a blanket, turn off the lights and get ready to enter the world of horror. And the top, uh, four that, um, all right, so after a, another bit of technical difficulties, we're back to finish up uh, episode 41 of Can't Hurt Your Own Risk. Uh, so basically, I was just getting into, and I'll try to keep this brief, but uh, Chat GPT came up with a version of our podcast for us. Um, so the first one it came up with was the classic duo of Sydney and Gail from Scream, and it goes on to discuss that a little bit. Um which I thought was interesting because it's, you know, I figured Dewey and Gal would probably be the ones who had shown up as the, uh, the horror, uh, couple. But, uh, anyways, <laughs> then it goes into the romantic duo of Michael and Laurie from Halloween H2O. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, so just the first paragraph. Moving on to romantic duels, let's talk about Michael Myers and Laurie Strode from Halloween H2O. This movie brought back the iconic slasher for a brand new generation and paired him with a character who is more than ready to face off against him. And, um, supposedly... Oh, it's talking about Laurie's daughter, too, not the L-O-R-I, not L-O-U-R-I-E. Um, okay. So then we get the tragic duo of Jay and Mark from The Descent. Ooh. It's been and okay. It's been a minute, but wasn't that due to Dick? Yeah. Yeah. Then we also get the unusual duo of Ash and Linda from The Evil Dead. Um, yeah, so I have no idea how the hell this fucking AI picked these movies for us, but that was the AI's version of our podcast that we just went over. <laughs> wow. That's... Huh. I'll, I'll, I'll add something that's a little fucking crazy. Um... This, this is, like, really weird, but it's, it's horror-related. Um, back in February, there was the NBA All-Star Saturday night. Like, there's the three-point shootout and the slam dunk contest. N then immediately following that, TNT showed the premiere episode of True Blood. And I thought to myself, Who, what, what audience are you trying to retain from NBA 
all-star weekend to true blood. It was absolutely confounding. And then I sat there and I watched the first two episodes and I really enjoyed it. Unedited? It was uh, edited to, to an extent, yeah. How was it? It was good, though? It was it was watchable. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to watch it on TNT. I'll just watch. I'm pretty sure it's still on HBO. Sure. Yeah, I think so. so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'd rather do that. Um, but yeah, it was enjoyable. Um, I'm also going to toss out this. It's video game and it's horror. Just finished the quarry finally with Carrie and Eric, and uh, that's that's a fun game. Like Kevin, even if you don't play the game. You probably could find like a playthrough online, and I think the story would be good enough that it would possibly captivate you. Um, it, it, it's quite good, and there's a lot of good voices in it, like uh, David Arquette, Lynn Shea, um, Ted Raimi, uh, Lance Henriksen. There's there's a bunch. It, it's it's a solid game, and it's all horror. Solid cast. So. Yeah. So here's an interesting thing to go along with that, talking about horror video games. I mean, we've had, and besides that, in the last couple of months, we've had the Classical Protocol and the Dead Space remake, which I understand that one was really well done. But um, have you guys ever played or heard of, of um, shit? What was the one that was like um, the Friday the 13th game, but came out before it? Dead by Daylight? They're making a Dead by Daylight TV series. No way. Yeah. Really? I, I haven't heard anything other than the fact that it's it's been picked up and it's it's in pre production. But I mean I would imagine they're probably gonna be doing it more in regards to like the the game, you know yeah. killers rather than trying to throw like all of the iconic ones that are in there in as well. But like you know, if they did, Jesus, talk about the fucking mashup that we've been longing for for all these years. <laughs> I just recently played it for the first time like two weeks ago because now you can play with bots because oh, I've heard really? the community was beyond toxic. So yeah, I've heard I that too. Uh, but yeah, it was kind of fun. Uh, I mean, I'm terrible at it, but it was fun. So uh, I want to toss out one other thing. I just heard last week a theory about Blair Witch. Have you guys ever heard the theory that Josh and Mike planned the whole thing and just did that to kill Heather. Uh, uh, no, no, I, think I so either. I heard Kevin, have you ever heard some that? theory about no? it? But I don't know if that was the one. So I'm not familiar with it. I'll, I'll try to find the link. I'll, I'll send it to you guys. It's it's an interesting theory, and if nothing else, like you know. There's not a whole lot to the movie as much as I like the movie, so it gives a little extra something like to think about if you ever do watch it again. So that's it. We're going to talk about what we're doing next podcast. All right, so we're going to be going back to something that we haven't done in quite a while, actually. But um, we're going to pick movies for everybody to watch, and we're going to make them watch it, and then get back to each other and like a, I don't know, not necessarily like a deep dive, but like our opinions on, uh, on the movies. So, um, I'll, I guess I'll go first since, uh, I was the one who suggested this one and it makes it a little easier, but I would like us to discuss Nightbreed, 
And I think this works easy for Kevin, because I know he said he already owned a copy and he just hasn't watched it yet. And can't, it's not available on like any of the major streaming, streaming things, except for Peacock, but it's up, it's up on like Tubi, Plexi, Pluto. So a lot of the, the free ones, you know, okay. with ads, it's available to watch it on. But you said it's on Peacock? I think it's on Peacock, if I remember. I was, I was okay. looking it up earlier just to make sure that, you know, it was. I'm- Available I mean, to, I have Peacock watch. because WWE Network, so... Oh, okay. Uh, let me just check one more time. And this was this is just going through... Um, yeah, uh, supposedly it's on Peacock with a subscription, so... Okay. All right, so what would you guys like us to watch? Kevin, you can go ahead because I'm now realizing I need to check. Yeah, I don't even. I, I, I I'm kind of available. blanking at the moment. Um, I don't. I don't. Okay. I don't have. No, yeah, I'm uh, blocked and, and loaded. Uh, I like. Uh, I feel bad, so I'd like to. I'd like to announce what what the movie is, so other people could watch it. But. Um, uh, okay. I'm going. To, I'm going to say, okay. uh, Blackula. Okay, and that's on what we got. That's on Prime. On Prime, and also. Pluto. I was going to say Ready or Not, but I'm not seeing that anywhere. So, unless, I mean, we have access, Chris, but I don't know if Kevin. Was it on HBO for a while? It was. I don't know. It's on JustWatch.com. It's not showing up for anything now. Which is a shame because that movie is fun as hell, and I think that'd be a fun yeah, yeah. That was a, that was a good one. Uh, yeah, it's only shown for me too. It's only showing up on Prime, you know, rent or buy. Yeah, it shows like for Fubo what or Directv subscription. So. Oh. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, ready, ready or, or not? not. Blackula is on Prime. Oh no, I don't think I think I'm confusing that with your next. Um, yeah, can buy be. Yeah, can buy be a surprise. Pretty pretty close. And I'll let you guys know. In like a day or two. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We will be discussing Blackula and Nightbreed. Uh, yeah, and, and we can always put it up. Surprise! Like okay. uh, on the Facebook or something. Uh, for for. Yeah. That's yeah. actually a good thing. We should probably we hit the hit the Facebook up with a post too. That way, if anybody wants to watch along with us, you know, I don't know if if Joe. Uh, has been following the the podcast. I mean, I assume he does because he responds on your your Facebook post a lot. Yeah, actually, I was just talking to Joe last night for about an hour about movies and stuff. So, yeah, he still follows along. Cool. Okay, so that was a, a little quick recapture. Again, I'm probably glad we didn't do this one in February because it would have seemed I don't know, not necessarily um, like sacrilegious because you know it's not religious valentine's day is not a religious holiday but definitely hey, i didn't uh, even mention like necromantic or salo okay so it could have been worse i'm just gonna ignore that and anyways <laughs> again uh, we hope you enjoy the podcast everybody have a good night <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> see ya <laughs>